Again, welcome to City Church this morning. So glad that you're here. How many of us are excited about Christmas? I know that I am as well. And um, this morning we're going to have a very special guest speaker that's going to come and share a sort of an insight that God has put in his heart and laid on his heart concerning Christmas and the message that Christ brings to us. So at this time, would you give a warm welcome to my son, Peter? Let's give him a warm welcome as he comes. Am I hot? Oh, I'm hot. Yeah, I'm hot. Good morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> my name is Peter Hartwig, named after Peter Hartwig, lest anyone not imagine. And I do wonder this morning if, if um, many of you who, go, who have gone to City Church for a while have considered the bizarre Trinitarian arrangement in which I have lived my entire life, that I'm the son, the only son, the only begotten son <laughs> of a minister called by his own name. So I'm the only, the son, the only son, the beloved son, the only begotten son, Junior. And um, being up here is sort of like becoming an heir to an odd sort of throne, although I didn't take the high leather chair that he usually sits on with the kind of I'll talk to you at Starbucks preaching style. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a fourth year at UVA, and I'm a classics and religious studies major, which means I study very old, te very old texts that no one else reads. But it's a blast for like the six of us in the whole world that reads Suetonius, and uh, we have conferences via Skype, I don't know. Um, but today, um, we're going to talk about the topic, Christmas in a Violent World, which most sermons at City Church, I don't think, have announced titles from the front. But that's, that's the thought I'd like to drop in your mind, that this is Christmas in a violent year. And writing this has been uh, a wrestling with the text, at least for me, and a sort of struggling. And so, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to pray. Because if we're going to talk about Christmas in a violent year, if God doesn't show up, the real source of hope has evacuated the room. So if you'd just pray with me to invite the Spirit of God with us. Almighty God, you are the God who has given himself for us in the manger and through the river Jordan and on the cross. And so I pray that you would be with us here today because in your presence there is peace. So be a peaceful God for us here today in a violent world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I think a lot of us feel that it has been a violent year. It's been a violent year at UVA, um, and I think that's marked for most of the UVA students by the publishing of the Rolling Stone article um, on November 19th of last year. Um, or maybe it was Hannah Graham's disappearance when her body was found on October 18th of last year. Um, it could have been Martise Johnson's arrest in March of this year. But I sense that at least at UVA, there's a remarkable weight on us. 
And it's been a violent year in the world. The world at large, I think, looks particularly violent this year. So there were the Charlie Hebdo shootings in January, the German Wings flight that crashed in March, the Metrojet flight that crashed in October, the Beirut attacks in November 12th, the Paris attacks the next day, Planned Parenthood November 22nd, San Bernardino December 2nd. And of everything I just read, that was 573 deaths in those two paragraphs alone. So I think that a lot of us, when we look at the world, see violence. We see videos of violence that have comments about the violence. We see violence and opinions about violence. And it's this sort of unshakable reality that weighs heavy on us. I have um, the great fortune of not being a police officer over the last four years, or part of a minority group. And so as heavy as I feel it, it must rest heavier on someone else. And it looks sort of like the whole world is a stage and all the actors are killing one another. And so what I'd like to do today is find a place on the stage for Christ. A place where Christ walks onto the world stage and acts as the Prince of Peace. And my way of putting this is that this is a new perspective. It's a new perspective because I don't think as Christians we want to debate facts or we want to, um, to whitewash a world that is violent if it is truly violent. But we as Christians don't lay down to a world that is violent even if it is truly violent. It's a shift in perspective because we're following Jesus. And when you follow somebody, that's a very weird perspective on the world because it's them at the center and then the periphery. Jesus is going to take up the center of the stage of a violent world for those who will take up and follow him. And I would like to submit to you that the beginning of the perspective that is hope starts with the curious observation that there has never been Christmas in a peaceful year, that the first Christmas was a Christmas in a violent year. Every Christmas may be Christmas in a violent year, but the year in which Christ is born, that is certainly true. So would you open with me to Matthew 2, page 783 in the Bibles we provide. I've been here a long time. Of the four Gospels, two of them give actual birth accounts of Christ. The Gospel of John starts with a long cosmic poem about the existence of Christ before the beginning of time. The Gospel of Mark apparently just doesn't care where Jesus came from and sort of launches into this Jesus career bit. But Luke and Matthew take the time to give accounts of the birth of Christ. And uh, you will notice as we read that there are a number of proof texts from the Hebrew Bible, which is something uh, that Matthew is famous for. Matthew is particularly well known for being a close reader of the Old Testament. So if you'd start with me in chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, 
he was understandably disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. In Greek, it says when they saw the star, they rejoiced, rejoicing a lot. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down. In Greek, they laid on their faces and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Drop down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. If you look at the proof texts that Matthew chooses, most of, us, most of them sound to us like familiar Old Testament Christmas verses. But you sort of have to imagine Matthew in the first century CE at his writing desk scouring the Old Testament for his Christmas verse. And when he gets to Jeremiah 31.15, apparently that one just clicks for him. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And a happy new year. It's, it doesn't fit the other verses. It doesn't fit our idea of Christmas. This does not appear in many Christmas songs. In fact, there strikes me a stark contrast between, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. And it certainly doesn't fit the American idea of Christmas because Christmas in the Gospel of America goes something to the tune of, it happened after Herod the president had been democratically elected and was in office, that Mary and Joseph had off time for Christmas, and so they got a quaint rural Airbnb in Bethlehem. <laughs> and Mary went surprisingly into labor, but considering the iPhone 6 that Joseph had very considerately given her, they were able to quickly call an ambulance, at which time she took six months maternity leave before returning to her office as God's mother. <laughs> which looks very little like the story told in Matthew. Instead, it's the Roman-supported king 
calls for a census in Luke's account. People scutter around and travel. Jesus was also probably born in September, by the way. Just a fun fact. If there are, if there are shepherds out tending their sheep, if people are traveling um, up to Bethlehem, if uh, Zacharias has already served his once-a-year entrance into the temple, and then you add six months, which is Elizabeth's pregnancy that Luke gives us, Jesus is probably a fall baby. Um, But again, the voice heard in Ramah does not sound to us like a Christmas story. Except for the fact that it strikes me as a much more accurate depiction of the world in which we live and of the story told in the Bible. December 14th, 2012, when I was a first year at UVA, At 9.35 a.m., Adam Lanza entered Sandy Hook Elementary School with a Bushmaster 4M. And by 9.40, 21st graders, six faculty members, and Adam were all dead. Sunday, December 16th, was the third Sunday of Advent. And I attended an Episcopal church um, for an evening Eucharist. And the priest stood up to read the gospel. And the reading from the gospel was Matthew 2, the massacre of the innocents. I don't know if that's what the Book of Common Prayer had called for as the collect for the day, or if that's something the priest decided to add. But with two things on everyone's mind, Advent and Sandy Hook, we read Matthew chapter two. And I thought about the mad King Herod, and I thought about Adam Lanza, and I thought about the little town of Bethlehem. 20 children, give or take, were probably killed in Bethlehem during the massacre of the innocents, given the size of Bethlehem and Galilee at this point in history. 20 children died February 16th. I thought about little Bethlehem, and I thought about Newtown, Connecticut. I've been to Newtown, Connecticut. At the year's anniversary of the massacres, I went with Ravi Zacharias, the uh, theologian, to hear him give some sermons, lectures, at a local church, and it is the tiny New England town where nothing happens. I don't know if I'm the only one man enough to admit that I watch Gilmore Girls, but this is, it's stars hollow, more or less. (laughs) Population, 27,000. There's the Mad King and the Lunatic, the Children and the Innocents, the Little Town and the Little Town, and then there's the Christ Child. And I thought I heard God say, as we read the text, Me too. I thought reading Matthew 2 on Sunday, December 16th, that I saw for the first time that God's answer to suffering is me too. God places God's self in a violent world. The the irony of this has to be unmissable that God, as a child, enters a town where children are killed. God's peaceful entry into a violent world is in the exact form and shape and age as the most vulnerable victim. God is actually a baby. It might be an omniscient baby because it's God, but it is actually a baby. Not so much since I've gone to college, 
but especially when I was growing up, I would go on hospital visits with my dad. And several of them were, uh, were for newborns. And so if some of you maybe in the last eh, 10 years had a baby, I may have been at your bedside. Children here, I may have held you in your first hours. That was way more awkward than I thought it was going to be coming out of my mouth. And uh, the same thing happens every time. <laughs> Nix it. Cut it off the record. Um, you walk into Martha Jeffrey UVA and invariably forget which floor is the maternity ward, so the kind southern woman at the front desk goes, oh, honey, it's the fifth floor. Oh, thank you. You put a name tag, go up to the maternity ward, and you enter uh, mama's hospital room, and you hunch. I don't know why people do this, but in hospitals, people hunch. It's like a sign of politeness. So you kind of walk in and you go, hi. <laughs> and she is exhausted. Like, mom is exhausted. She looks like she's just survived, I, I don't know, anything. She just pulled another human being out of her. And so she's gray and her hair is all kind of done. But she looks over and her pastor walks in. So she's got to be nice. And he brought his kid. And so <laughs> the two of us hunch into the room. Irene, I don't know, hi, Irene. She goes, hi, Pastor Pete, hi, Peter. <laughs> and they have a conference, how are you? Oh, I'm good, how are your parents? They're on their way, have you slept? No. And she tries to feign this smile of okayness, this kind of like. <laughs> so she's exhausted and like high as a kite and she's just pulled a human out of her and we're trying to have the, to like comfort her and come in nicely and, and eventually, she thinks she's being nice, but eventually she offers that you can hold her child. And you can't say no, because she spent nine months and a thousand hours wrenching this other human out of her, and that makes it the most beautiful thing in the whole world. Like, if anything happens to this child, all the lights go off and the birds stop singing, the music stops playing, everything is dark, and the whole world order collapses. So you have to hold the baby that upholds the world order, unless, lest you deliver a, the most eviscerating insult to a newborn's mother. But if you drop it, <laughs> you have dropped the baby that upholds the world order. And so she looks at my dad and goes, do you want to hold him? And he holds him, and then he turns to me, and I'm like in a bulletproof vest, padded on a couch with pillows underneath each of my arms, and he hands the child that I strap into myself and then carry it like it's an atomic bomb this close to go off. Because if anything happens to that kid, then her pastor's child hurt her baby. <laughs> and I will not be responsible for that. And uh, I think the curious thing is that if you went to Bethlehem between 6 and 4 BCE when we date Christ's birth, and you walk into the backyard manger, and the Virgin Mary has, the blessed Virgin Mary, has her hair all torn up, because <laughs> birth was worst in the first century, lest we forget that. And she goes, do you want to hold little Jesus? <laughs> and you can't say no, because God has spent thousands of years and several prophets making sure that he will show up. And then he got this virgin to agree to deliver it. So he's gone through lots of work. And it is the thing that he loves most in the world. But if you drop it, you will have dropped the meaning of history. And the cross will come 24 chapters early and everyone will go to hell or something. And so you have to hold on to the baby Jesus. You can't drop little Jesus. 
And the real theological point in that joke is that the real God really enters the real world. God for two years can be swaddled and dropped. God is vulnerable to shaken baby syndrome for two years. And that is by and large not the image of God we have. By and large, I don't think it occurs to us that God really takes on in its most vulnerable state human life upon God's self. God, in theory, could have shown up as anything. But Matthew takes the time to tell us that God is born as a child in a world of infanticide. And I think that's a particularly poignant point. But Jesus is not just the baby who's the lucky one. Right? If you read the story about how Joseph is able to get the Christ child to Egypt, it might sound like Jesus sort of enters and evacuates. But I would like to suggest that, in fact, the peaceful birth of Christ opens up a new and peaceful way of being within the world. So would you turn with me to Isaiah... What do I want? I think I want Isaiah 11. Yeah, there it is. It's always been there, guys. Isaiah 11. So, Isaiah is working and writing 750-ish years towards Christ. Biblical scholars debate this because the book of Isaiah seems very clearly broken up into three, three um, subject matters. And this is probably one of the most famous examples of what peace looks like in the Hebrew Bible. We read it often for Christmas, and uh, I would just like us to rest with it for a little bit. So Isaiah 11, the prophet writes, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So last week, the Reverend Father gave a definition of shalom that went something to the tune of this. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, Peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. The noun shalom comes from the three-letter root shalom, meaning to be complete, perfect, and full. That is a remarkably comprehensive term. It's a financial term because it means something has been paid in full. And it's a covenantal term because you can have shalom with God. 
And it's a biomedical term because your body can be healthy and your mind can be healthy and at peace, your soul can be healthy at peace. If you read all the way to Revelation 21 22, it becomes a cosmological term because the whole world is wrapped up in God's peace. But the Reverend Father covered all of that last week. But what the Reverend Father did not cover is the images the Bible gives us to talk about shalom. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling, and this little kid, and the cow is eating with a bear, and the lion is a vegetarian. And it's this bizarre, so kind of like what's going on. And the Hartwig paraphrase, the Hartwig Jr. paraphrase of this goes, shalom means that the world will be so curiously free of fear that it will be unrecognizable to us. For those of us who are acclimated to a world of broken shalom, of bloodshed and violence and war, of a natural order in which dog eats dog, to speak of peace in the natural order seems almost like a cartoon. And then there's this line, and a little child will lead them. Verses one and two, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, sounds curiously like Jesus. A little child will lead them, sounds curiously like Jesus. The image we get in Isaiah is that at the forefront of a parade of peace, there's a peace giver, a peace bringer, a little child who leads the peaceful animals out into the world. The bringer of shalom is not a five-year plan. It is not a political campaign. It's not an ethic. Isaiah doesn't describe him as a general. It's a little child who leads a ridiculous parade of peaceful animals. I think it's safe to say that this looks relatively ridiculous especially to us who have grown up in a violent world, on the backdrop of that violent world. And you think, if that little kid comes parading in here, the world is gonna chew him up and spit him out. We might be tempted to say something like, you know, Isaiah, the parade and the animal cracker thing is very, very nice, but we should probably stick to the way things are, vis-a-vis -vis the fact that it is actually a violent world out there, lest you forget that fact. But the dialogue we get between Matthew 2 and Isaiah is the dialogue we get when Matthew puts a history to Isaiah's story. If you read the Isaiah prophecy by itself, even for its literary material, I don't think that you would ever really guess the character of God as revealed in Matthew, that they would map onto one another so remarkably well. The miracle of Christmas is that into a violent world, a peaceful God for whom we might long, but looks at first ridiculous, is actually born in Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that happens when the realist scoffs at the dreamer, the person who goes, but things don't have to be this way. The Bible opens up for us the freedom to work for, to long for, to pray for, a world that our neighbors might think sounds ridiculous. They shall not learn war anymore. They will beat their swords into plowshares. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The lion will become a vegetarian. Christmas is not for people who 
who are succeeding in the violent world. It's not for the people that feel they've got the security, people who feel like they've got it all going on in the way things are going. Christmas is for people who want out of the violent world, who are crushed by the machine of the violent world. Christmas is for people in the real world. Would you turn with me at this point to Isaiah chapter nine, just one page over? Here's what I would finally like to impress upon you is the remarkable image of God in Jesus who looks at a violent world, who proposes another way, and who finally lives it out as a sort of invitation. Isaiah writes this, in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea. Gosh, isn't that where Jesus was born? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The word deep darkness in Hebrew is actually shadow of death. Jump down to verse six. For to us, a child is born. There's that kid again. And to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And because God's excited about it, it's going to happen. For people in darkness and in the shadow of death. I think a lot of us feel like we're in the shadow of death. We're still here. They're just dark and mysterious characters playing up on the walls. The stage of the world looks like a skit of violence and darkness. We rest in the shadow of death. But for the people in darkness, for the people in the shadow of death. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, in Jesus Christ, a real baby is given. God really comes into the real world. And he's the gift that keeps on giving. Look at verse seven. Of the greatness of his government and shalom, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. With Jesus, it's Christmas every day. Life with Jesus is the inauguration of a kingdom that goes on and on and on. So in this Christmas, in this Christmas in a violent year, God is offering us a role in his kingdom that starts at the turn of the first century and has continued throughout the ages, even to the violent year of 2015. This Christmas, God offers us a place in God's peaceable kingdom. It's a place of hope for the hopeless, of dignity for the ashamed, healing for the wounded, freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, it's nourishment 
to the famished. That sounds to me like a very Merry Christmas. It's for those whose voices weep in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children, because there are no more. That's the exact moment where the kingdom of God shows up. And if you're there this Christmas, this Christmas is the Christmas where God offers you a new place to go and live, the peaceable kingdom of God. So maybe this Christmas, we can simply ask God to make God's shalom real in our lives. I think there are a thousand ways for this to happen. I'm like really into systematic theology, it's kind of my thing, and I can promise you that God's kingdom is so alive and vibrant, if you try and systematize it, you're probably gonna miss the point. God's kingdom is inbreaking and real in the world even today. And so the practical application of my sermon, I think, is that we just ask God to make the kingdom real in our lives and start looking for it. Can you make your home a place of shalom? Can you make your dorm a place of shalom? Is your social circle a place of shalom? I would like to call the band up at this point in time, if I may. I'd just like to close on this final thought. In the Gospel of Luke, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we are told, blessed are the peacemakers. Why, exactly? It is not, though this is true, blessed are the peacemakers because Christians should be peaceable. It is not, blessed are the peacemakers because the world is better when it's peaceable. It is, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. That really hit me this week. Usually I think of the Son of God as having born, died, and resurrected already, as Christmas being the celebration of somebody else's birth. But blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. If you want a home in God's kingdom, to be God's son or daughter or child, be a peacemaker. Ask the kingdom to come into your life. Look for it everywhere for we are sons and daughters of God. Would you stand with me as we pray out? Almighty God, the Almighty and the peaceable God. God, high and mighty, and in the manger. God, who's got a star in the sky and feet on the earth. God, who's so real that we could wrap you up, put you in a crib, we could strip you down and hang you on a cross. Real God, powerful God, peaceful God. I pray that you would be gracious, gracious enough to let your kingdom come in our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Be with us as we go into a violent world. Make us a people who are peaceful in a world of unimaginable violence. Be with us this afternoon and tomorrow and the day after that, the day after that, the day after that, the day after that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yeah, let's give Peter a hand. <clears throat> We're going to close uh, this time with a song called Build Your Kingdom Here, just in response to uh, what Peter shared with us about. Um, so it's uh, hopefully not an emotional shock to go from that to uh, a really happy song. But um, anyway, you guys ready? Okay. All right. <clears throat> Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in our sweet brain. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls.
a child is born, and to us a son is given in a violent year. Can we close out in prayer together? Let's do that. Let's pray. God, as we come before you in this moment, we pray that there would be a son born to each and every one of us. That in the midst of a violent year, we would find Christmas. That we would find this one that came into the world to give us hope and peace and shalom. Lord, I thank you for your scriptures that are so authentic and real. Lord, may this message resound in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are to us. And may you be our Prince of Peace. And we believe for this and we pray for it now in a violent year. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. 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 And amen. God bless you. Turn, give someone a high five a hug, or a handshake. We'll see you again next Sunday morning. Bring a friend. Jesse, <laughs> can we try the new one again? Yeah, yeah, from the top.
Skate.